Nothing I said was important before now, but trust me, it was profound, and it was great, but you'll never know, so just take my word for it. All right, we're going to be in Psalm 42, and let's read that again. I know we read it once, but let's read this one more time. Psalm 42 and verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon of Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my rock. If we look back at verse 1, this text, at least in, in, in my view, takes kind of an unexpected turn. Now, I put this up here. Do you ever have something that you planned and it just didn't go as planned? It just didn't work out as you expected it. Now, I put this here because lunch is coming up and some of you are getting hungry. I am not a great cook, but there are two things that at least I think I can cook. Last Thanksgiving, I tried my hand at a chocolate pie. Because in my house growing up, that was just part of Thanksgiving. After the turkey was done, you had some chocolate pie. And so I tried my hand at that last year, and I think it went well. I didn't get any complaints, or people were just very nice, I don't know. But the one thing I am confident I can cook is over here. What I refer to as Thompsonian goulash. It's an old family recipe, I think. My grandma, I remember my grandmother used to make it when I was a kid, and I'm pretty sure I have stuck with just about that same recipe. I later learned, after my grandfather died, it was some, actually something, a recipe that he had. He was a cook in the Navy just after World War II, and I found his old cookbook, and I found this recipe. And I, and I pretty much, with a couple exceptions, kept with the recipe. I think it's pretty good. In fact, I'm confident it's the best in the land. Tony, do you agree? Tony likes it. My son Tony over there. My wife, Jill, not so much. But Tony, it's, maybe it's a man thing. I don't know. There's a lot of meat in it. It's whatever. 
But years ago, I recall making something else. I was in Boy Scouts at the time, and for some reason I had it in my head, the camping trip we went on, I wanted cornbread. You like cornbread? A good cornbread. So my opinion of cornbread, which I know is different than those in the South, I like it sweet. And so I had made it up, and we had had these uh, Dutch oven things. I remember we had, we had dug a little pit, we put some tinfoil down, put some coals down, we put these things in the pit, and we cooked it. And I was in charge of it, and I followed the little recipe, and it was on one of those little, was it Jif boxes, you know what I'm talking about? And so I put that in, and I was excited because I couldn't wait to have it. I had poured my heart and soul into this. I remember taking it, it was ready, and I could see it looked great. And I took a bite, and I learned a lesson that day that I still haven't quite got down but there is a lot of similarity, at least in uh, visual optics, between sugar and salt. <laughs> they look quite a bit alike. They taste vastly different, as I found out that evening. It, it, it looked great in my eyes, and it looked awesome, but once I bit into it, it was very sour, and it didn't taste very good at all. And it was disgusting. When I look at Psalm 42, I kind of take a, a similar look at this. And look at verse 1 again. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, I grew up with this verse. You know, maybe you've heard the little praise chorus, as the deer pants for the water, so my... It, it's based right off of this verse. You know what I'm talking about? And it's, in my mind, it's a beautiful image of someone who's calling out to God, someone who's passionately in love with the Lord. Lord, I want to see you. I want to be with you. I, 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 I desire you. Almost like two lovers conversing. Like, oh, I can't wait to see you. And so as, as I read this verse, I kind of get that picture in mind. But then as we look at the following verses we see something vastly different. In verse 2, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before Him? My tears have been my food, day and night. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Well, now we have a vastly different picture. We're no longer looking at just someone who, oh, I just love God, and I just have this great relationship with God, and Oh, I, I can't wait to be in communion with him. Instead, this is someone who's crying because they feel like God has forsaken them. They want a, to appear before God because they don't feel the presence of the Lord with them in their life right now. My tears have been my food day and night. They are in the grips of a depression. They want God because they feel like they don't have him. This is not a call, a beautiful picture, but this is a picture of sadness, of loneliness, of depression. And all of a sudden, this psalm now takes a different turn, at least from what I'm familiar with as when I've looked at this passage. Because Psalm 42.1 looks like it's a great verse. It's like one of those crocheted on a pillow verses, right? But as we read throughout this psalm, 
we see a bleak picture. In fact, as we, if you notice at the top of this psalm, in most of your Bibles, you'll have this phrase, book two. This is a second section of the book of Psalms, five, psalm, uh, five books altogether. And in this book, we see a, a, a definite turn in what we're expecting or, or the attitude of the, of the Psalms. And so we come to verse 5, and we see really the key verse, verse 5 and verse 11. And if we were to look ahead in, in chapter 43 or, or Psalm 43, uh, you'd see this again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? That word turmoil is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It has the idea of someone who is in deep anguish and pain, someone who is voicing that pain, someone who's just in agony, almost like a, a scream or a howl or, or, or some sort of painful screech that's coming from your soul. Why are you cast down? Well, why is he so depressed. When we look at this, we see several reasons. In verse 6, we see he's not where he used to be. And my God, my soul is cast down, uh, where am I? Um, yes, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. He, he's recalling a time when he was where he used to be. But he's looking back on that now. He's not at home. He's actually, if, if we were to show a map of, of where these are, he's kind of on the outskirts of the nation right now. He's not at the temple. He's not worshiping. And in fact, he's far away. He's away from home. And as he's away, others are mocking him. They see the depression he's in. They see the sadness he's in. Again, verse 3, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Echoed in verse 10, where is your God? It's not enough that he's sad and he's depressed and it feels like God's not there, but other people notice this and they're commenting on it. We know you're the guy who used to lead praises and used to lead throngs to the temple and you'd sing loud and you'd praise the Lord. Where is he now? What good is your God now? Verse 4, he's haunted of memories of the past. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go. This guy used to lead a procession to the temple in worship, maybe leading them in the Psalms of Ascent later we see in the book of Psalms. He's not doing that now. In other words, he's not doing his job. He feels overwhelmed like he's drowning. Deep calls to deep, verse 7. At the roar of your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves have gone over me. It's like he's drowning in a sea of turmoil. And there's no hope. He can't get a foothold anywhere. He can't swim to the shore or, or swim to get his head above water. It's all coming, crashing down on him. But he knows what the truth should be. Look at verse 9. He says, I say to God, my rock. We just sang that song, the solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He knows who God is. I, call, I say to God, my rock, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
He knows what the truth is. And he's crying out to God, but it still feels like God's not there. He's in the depths of sorrow because of the oppression of others. We said already that people are noticing this. My adversaries, verse 10, taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? All the day long, he's coming up against people, his adversaries, his enemies, who are noticing this and can't wait to point it out. And it just seems like God has forgotten him. The one, the rock, the, his, his salvation, his God has forsaken him. What do you do in that situation? Maybe we can relate with that situation. Do you ever have those feelings yourself? Do you ever feel like you're not where you should be in life? Like for whatever reason, you're, you're, you're somewhere, but it just doesn't seem to, to fit in. It doesn't seem to be a right fit. Do you ever feel mocked because you're not the believer you ought to be? You're not the follower of God you know you should be. Or maybe you're not the believer you thought that you were. It's easy to praise the Lord in good times and sing the songs of Zion and rejoice and have a smile. But then when trouble hits, the bills start piling up, health becomes an issue, loss of a loved one or or whatever it is, then it doesn't become as easy. And maybe there's a family member or maybe there's a friend who's pointing that out. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were supposed to be stronger than this. Aren't you the same person that was talking about, oh, we should all trust in God? Aren't you the same person who told me once I should just pray and read my Bible more and this is what? And now you're in the midst of this and now you're feeling depressed. Aren't you supposed to be better than this? Or maybe it's just your conscience and you have that idea. Oh, yeah. You know, as, as someone who, uh, I'm a Bible teacher in a, in a Christian school in Beloit, so I teach the Bible every day. And oftentimes it's hard not to feel like a hypocrite because I do know the Scripture. And when I come to a frustrating situation and my anger starts boiling up, it's like, I know this is wrong. I know this is not the response I need to have to this. But it's there. It's hard not feeling like a hypocrite oftentimes. Maybe you're on the computer late at night and that pop-up window comes up and it's like, I I know I should abhor this. I know I should hate this. But I also know there's a part of me that desires that. We know what we ought to be but we know who we really are. It's part of what he's going through. Do you ever look back at when things were better in your life? The good old days. Not like it is now. Do you ever find yourself unable to do what was once normal for you? Do you ever read Scripture and not feel better? Because that's supposed to work, right? You have a difficulty in mind. Okay, I know this is, a, this, is a, this is a problem. Okay, I'm going to the Word of God. And you're, you're reading passionately, and it's like, 
okay, I'm expecting to feel better. I'm expecting the light to dawn from the sky to enlighten my whole body and to feel better, and I walk out from my devotional time, victory in Jesus, right? Well, you're praying, you've been praying maybe for years for, about a certain issue or a certain problem, and it just doesn't seem like God is there. Do you ever feel oppressed by others? Maybe it's people at work, people at home, people who are challenging you on your faith. And they're waiting for just one little mess up. That person at work who thinks that you're the holier-than-thou Christian who is better than everybody else, can't wait to see, oh, you said that word after, when the computer wasn't working? Oh, yeah, I knew you were just like me. I knew you were one of the, oh, yeah. It gets difficult. Or does it ever just seem like God doesn't care? You know he's there. You know he's in existence. You even believe the Bible and the word of God as true, but for some reason it just doesn't seem to be working with you. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Connecticut, I was working with this family that had uh, lots of different troubles. And uh, they had a teenage son. He was in my youth group. And he would actually be dropped off at my house after school by the bus. Uh, He wouldn't go home right away. We'd have good conversation. I'd make sure he does his homework, things like that. We invested our, our lives into this family. And one day they just showed up and said, you know what? It's just not working for us. We tried the church thing. And we believe in God, we believe in Scripture, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to be doing anything for us, so we're done, we're out. Do you ever feel like that? And it's irritating, maybe sometimes, I don't know if you have a, a testimonial time sometimes in church, you're listening to all these great testimonies of how God's working in this family or that family and this life and that life, and it's like, I get nothing. I can't, I can't raise my hand on this one. I, I don't know what to do. Well, if you're there, or you've been there, or maybe you're going to be there, this psalm is for you. I know this psalm has spoken personally to me. So what's the answer? Well, there really is no easy answer. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. In God. He says, For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God, verses 5 and 11. I shall again. He's looking into the future. He realizes, this psalmist realizes, this isn't happening right now. I'm not in a position right now where I'm just filled with the joy of the Lord and I want to go praise him and I want, but I'm confident I will again. My hope. My certain expectation of the future is in God. It's not in my present circumstances. It's not in my family. It's not in my ability to overcome. But my hope is in God. I'm going to do this again. I will be praising Him again. I will be in the temple. I will be leading the procession. It may not be now, 
but it will be. And so we begin to see some hopes. I want to give four helps for your hope. I don't know if that's grammatically correct, but it sounds good to me, so I'm going to go with it. Helps for your hope. And I I use the word help because I I don't want it to seem like this is follow these four steps and I'm going to guarantee a smile on your face. Plus, you know, you uh, buy my book for $19.95 plus shipping and handling and I'll send you a prayer rug or something, whatever. I'm not going to give you an easy answer or a clear solution, but there are things that can help coming from this text. So, number one, don't rely on yourself. This is not the time to power through. Man up. Get through it. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We're told to hope in God. Steve Lawson, in his commentary, said this, hope means to wait upon God's perfect timing with a confident and strong trust in God about the future. It first means to wait And it's a confidence in the future. There are times we have to wait. We go through things. We go through trials. We go through situations that are difficult. We go through the storms of life. There are times we have to wait them through. But we don't do that with just simply a cheery outlook, a positive attitude, or simply hope about the future. Our confidence is in God. Because ultimately, this is the essence of the Christian faith. It's not about me. It's not about my ability to learn a lesson. Because that's sometimes what we say, okay, God's just going to teach me something through this. And I don't know if God's going to teach you something through this. Maybe the only lesson to learn is I'm weak and he's strong. I need less of me and more of him. The essence of our very salvation rests in that concept. I can't appear before God. I've got nothing to offer. No good works, no merit, nothing of which to boast or brag, but I stand before the throne of God guilty, stained by the darkness of my own soul the wretchedness of my own sin. Yet, Hebrews tells us we approach the throne of grace with boldness. Not because of me, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I have nothing to look at myself and find encouragement, find hope, and find peace. But I wrap myself in the righteousness of Jesus. And I realize oftentimes during through these trials, I'm reminded of who the real Kevin Thompson is. I'm reminded of who I really am. And maybe through that I can see Christ all the more clearly. I can see him for who he is, much greater than me. My own sinfulness shows me the greatness of his holiness. We hope in God because he's the only thing we have to cling to. We hope in God because he is the greatest thing we have to cling to. He is our hope, our righteousness, 
our pathway to God. Who is God? He's described as my rock, the steady anchor in the storm. The only thing that can give me any comfort, the only thing where I can stand firm on. I grew up in Massachusetts, a little town called Stoughton, Massachusetts, just south of Boston. And we were in close, close proximity to the city of Plymouth. And if you know anything about history, Plymouth is where the pilgrims landed back in 1620. And when you're that close to Plymouth, every single year for your school field trip, you go to Plymouth and you see the rock. There it is, the rock. Look, everybody, it's the rock. Remember last year we saw this? Yeah, it's still there. Nothing's changed, still there. Still says 1620 on it, still has a crack in it. Boom, there it is. Hope you get a better appreciation of that. Well, if the legend is true, the pilgrims, as they're, they're stepping off the Mayflower, they're stepping on this, what used to be a bigger boulder, they're stepping off the boat onto this firm foundation through which they can then go on to the shore. The rock was firm, and it doesn't move. Even today, it doesn't move. Of course, it's surrounded by, you know, metal and concrete and stuff, but and it's below there. Anyway, it doesn't move, it's still there. Christ is our rock. He doesn't move. I am the Lord, I change not. Malachi chapter 3. Even though the winds and waves are blowing, if the ship is anchored, it's not going anywhere. Though it's scary, it's terrible, it's fearsome, you're going to get wet, you're going to get tossed around, but the boat isn't moving. In the midst of our storm, He is our rock. He is our salvation, a rescue. Sometimes we get real familiar with Christian terms, being saved. You know, somebody on the outside, what does that mean? Sometimes we, remind, we need to remind ourselves what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved is we needed to be rescued from something. And unfortunately, that something is ourself. We can look at all the outside world all we want to, and we can complain about all the sins and grief, and it's not like it used to be out there. But the problem is not out there, the problem's in here. I don't need to be just rescued from all of this, but all of this. God is my salvation. Meaning, I've got problems, and I should expect problems. Because as bad as it is out there, it's worse in here. In fact, it's bad out there because it is bad in here. I shouldn't expect to react right. I shouldn't expect that I'm just going to be able to figure things out. Because my entire being has been affected by the fall, by sin. I have a sin nature. It affects how I think and how I process and how I look at events. I need rescue from that. But he is also my God. He is a personal God who cares about me personally. 
And I have to remind myself of that because I don't always remember that as the psalmist does. As the psalmist is struggling with, God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? Where are you? He cares about me. I can't always see that. Again, sometimes I'm blinded by my own sin, and I don't see what I need to see, which leads us to point number two. Number one, don't rely on yourself. Number two, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. Notice what he says in verses 5 and verse 11. Hope in God. But even before that, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. Why are you uh, in so much turmoil? Why is there going on within me? Hope in God. He's talking to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a theologian of the 20th century, which seems weird that I can say back in the 20th century. You know what I'm talking about? I'm old. Anyway, Martin Lloyd-Jones over... Uh, in, in England, the doctor who became a preacher said this in his book on spiritual depression. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, Question yourself. You must say to your soul, Why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, Hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. He continues, And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil, and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Preach to yourself. Condemn yourself. Take yourself in hand, he's saying. Don't simply listen to yourself. Yourself is a liar. I know because you have a sin nature, as we just talked about. You've heard the expression, maybe, what are you going to believe, the facts or your lying eyes, you know, or whatever. What I'm saying to you are your lying eyes. Well, the problem is we don't see things clearly enough. This world is filled with deceit. My heart is filled with deceit. What I perceive is not actually reality. If I put my trust in the Lord, in His Word, I realize there's a greater truth that I have to depend upon. And I don't want to just listen to myself, listen to my perceptions, listen to my depression, listen to the groanings of my heart, instead, I'm going to preach to myself. Remind myself of who God is, what God has done, and what He has promised to do. And though everything else around me seems contrary to that fact, I'm going to cling to the fact, cling to the truth of the Word, 
and I'm not going to let myself go down this path without a fight. I have to tell myself, remind myself, preach to myself what is true. So number one, don't rely on yourself. Number two, preach to yourself. Number three, sing to yourself. Back in verse 8 of our text. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. At night his song is with me. For whatever reason, music helps the soul. I mean, this, this, this whole book of Psalms were meant to be sung. They are praises to the Lord. They're songs. It's the first hymnal of the Christian church. In fact, there are still some churches today who only sing from this book. Songs are prayers calling out to God, helping us express difficult emotions. You ever stand here as we're singing one of these songs? It's like, yeah, I can't put it into words, but there it is. Right up there on the screen. That's how I'm feeling right now. Songs help us sometimes to express emotions of grief, anger, joy, in words maybe we can't come up with on our own. But songs were also meant to teach. uh, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Songs can instruct. Songs can remind us of spiritual truth in maybe more of a soothing way. Music should be a part of your life. We have, you know, in our age, so many different listening devices, whether it's, you know, your, what do you call it, uh, iTunes. I, I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not that guy. I have a cell phone. I have phones with songs on it somewhere. Whether it's Spotify or uh, Apple Music. Does Apple Music have a thing? Or is that iTunes? I don't know. I'm not an Apple guy, and I know that's probably a sin in this church. <laughs> but I don't join cults. Um, sorry. I'm never coming back. Um, <laughs> whether it's Pandora or whatever, we have so many opportunities to listen to good music. You ever notice also that bad music can have an effect on you as well? I remember I used to, when I was in Connecticut, I, I drove a delivery truck for an um, auto parts store. And I shared this, actually it was a van, I shared with this one guy. And I remember I was driving down the road one day, I was going, taking a long trip, I remember I just felt depressed. I felt lonely, which I normally don't. And I realized the country music station was on. The guy who'd gone for me, I hadn't turned it off, and I, and I whatever, it just came on. I was just like, oh, man, yeah, I feel bad. I lost my, my dog. My truck doesn't work, whatever. My girlfriend left me. Um, whatever. Music has an effect on you. Use it. When you get in those trials, when you get, you know what? That's a help. And finally, so number one, don't rely on yourself. Number two, preach to yourself. Number three, sing to yourself. But number four, don't keep to yourself. Look back at verse one. 
But look right above verse 1. Little title. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. A mascal is a song of instruction. The choir master, the sons of Korah. This was sung. This is not merely the anguish of one person writing a poem in uh, the darkness of his closet, feeling depressed. This was a song that was meant to be sung with people, for people, a group of people singing for the benefit of other people. This isn't just one person who's crying out to God, but this is multiple people echoing this same sentiment. This was meant to be sung and discussed together. Depression, sorrow, despair often leads us to loneliness as we cut off or cut away from the rest of the world to focus on whatever problem it is. And it seems like that's the thing to do because it seems like the rest of the world is oppressing me. That, those are the people who are saying, where, are your, where is your God? But we were given an oasis from this world. We were given, in a sense, a city of refuge, the church. A body of believers who are just like you. Every time you gather with fellow believers, you are among broken, struggling, and hurt people who need Jesus and need you. And you need them. When I was at Morningstar, one of the joys, I don't, I don't know how, how, how you do this here, one of the joys I had was when we came to the Lord's table, we'd come up through the, uh, the perimeter of the, the room, come to the middle, grab the, the elements, and then go back to our seat. And I'd watch people, not in like a stalker, creepy way, but I'd look at people, as and I just thought, these people are very different from me, different backgrounds, different uh, social status, different economic status, different race, different gender. But we're all coming to the table because we need Jesus. We're all coming to the table because we're broken. We're sinners. We're wretched. We struggle. In this room, I, I don't even know most of you, but I know we have broken people. I know there are those who struggle. I know there are those in pain, just like me. Just recently, at our, uh, I mentioned I'm a teacher, we had our teacher orientation last month. We were talking about this ACE score. And now I'm forgetting what the acronym stands for. It's something, something, something. <laughs> Um, it's bad, okay? Um, these are things you probably should write down. Let's, uh, can we edit this later so Jeremy doesn't see this? Let's just keep this between the two of us, uh, whatever. Um, but it's... Yes, that's it. Thank you. Adverse childhood experience. Okay, or childhood experiences. The idea is, we, we all took this little test, a 10-question test about different traumatic experiences that you may or may not have experienced before the age of 18. 
the higher score you have, the more likely you're to have problems later in life. The more problems you'll have discipline-wise, behavior-wise, diet-wise, uh, and a whole bunch of other things. More likely you'll, you'll uh, have struggle with addiction problems, things like that. And one of the key numbers was four. If you had four, a score of four or above, you, you're at risk. And I looked at my score, and it was high. And, and, and the first wave of emotion that hit me was embarrassment. I guess this confirms I'm pretty screwed up. It was like, oh, I'm going to put this paper over here. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want anyone else looking at that. Like, okay. But in that room, I had all my, we're all, we're all Christians, we're at a Christian school. And these are people I've worked with for the past decade, people who I know and love and appreciate and respect. And, and one by one, a couple of people started raising their hands, you know, my score was this, or my score was that, or my score was this. And every person who rose their hand and said that had a higher score than I did. And suddenly I felt a wave of comfort. I, 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 maybe I've struggled, but they have as well. I'm not the freak maybe I thought I was. These guys have struggles as well. And, and talking with some after, it's like, wow. And some of this I knew before, I just kind of forgot. Oh, I forgot you went through this. I forgot you had a father in prison, a father who had, uh, was eventually murdered, or, or all these, like, whoa. And it again dawned on me. We all have our issues. We all have struggles. But what's greater is we have Jesus. What's greater is that we have the work of Christ to cover everything that I've done. And there's joy in that. But I don't know that when I keep to myself. I don't know that when I tried to hide the pain and, and mask it over with whatever plastic smile I've been able to put on my face and walk into the church and feel like I've got it all together. You ever, I, I remember, again, going back to another time, I used to work on a church, uh, it wasn't a bus route, but it was like a van, church van, we picked up kids for Sunday school, whatever, and this one couple would come, and they'd drive this van, and I remember, I'd always get there to the church first, I was the, I was the uh, assistant pastor, or whatever, and I could hear, when this couple came in, I could hear it, because I could hear them yelling and screaming at each other in the parking lot, but when they walk in the door, Brother Thompson, great to be here, oh, isn't this a great day to serve Jesus, you know, it's like, do you know that I can hear? Do you know how loud you are? I wish I could. But you know, if I could go back, sometimes I wish I could say, you know what? Could you continue that argument in here? Because maybe other couples in this church need to know that they're not the only couple who argues and struggles and sometimes wonder if they should stay married. Martin Luther said to sin boldly. Because when our sin is out there, it can be dealt with. Sin that's hidden is going to stay hidden, and it's going to grow, and it's going to fester, and it's going to get worse. But if I can have the humility to say, I am screwed up. Look at this problem I've got. Look at this 
That's when we can experience some growth. I had a student just recently who uh, I've been counseling with for a couple of years, and he said he was, one of the main things he was struggling with was pornography. And by God's grace, he was able to overcome that through counseling and through other things that we, we talked through. It took a couple of years, actually. Well, at our school, we have a tradition that seniors give a testimony on their last chapel. And Daniel stood up, he gave a testimony about this issue. It took some courage to say in front of the entire student body that he was struggling with pornography. Great. Next period was lunch. It's great that Daniel was first off humble enough to come to me and to talk about this issue. But when he talked about it in front of the student body, I had three or four students at lunchtime coming in to me. Mr. Thompson, I've got this problem, and I need help. They wouldn't have done that, but they realized they're not the only ones struggling with this. Now they're able to get the help that they need. I don't know what you're struggling with, but more than likely there's somebody else who's struggling with this as well, or something similar, or maybe something completely different, or maybe something worse. Because we're all sinful people in need of Jesus, in need of the grace of God. Let that minister to you. I'm going to skip that. So, to wrap things up, hope in God, your rock, your salvation, your hope, your God. How can, what are some things we can do? Don't rely on yourself. You're sinful. But remember, God is holy. Not only is he holy, but he is loving. And what he has accomplished on the cross covers your sin. So come forth. Preach to yourself. Don't just give in to the temptation to wallow in self-pity to wallow in despair or loneliness, but recall the truths that some of you already know. Sing to yourself. Remind yourself in joyous tones of what the Lord has done. And don't keep this hidden. You have a good pastor who I know would take your phone call. Maybe not right now, but maybe in a week or two. And I'm sure there are elders in the church, there are other leaders in the church, or maybe someone sitting in the pew next to you now who would love to listen and talk. And you'll realize as you verbalize this, you're not the only one. Let's all come to Jesus together. Let's all remind ourselves at the foot of the cross, we're here for Him. We're here because of Him. He is our rock. He is our salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done and what we are confident that you will do. Remind our hearts of that. Bring those truths to the forefront of our minds as we struggle with this. Give us the humility we need to come forward to confess whatever sin needs to be confessed, to receive whatever help needs to be received. Humble us, but overwhelm us with your grace. 
Overwhelm us with your love. Overwhelm us with all that you are. It's in your name we pray.